This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne CBD. Today's big question, how can we get a good night's sleep? And to help us, we have Andrew Laird join us. Now, Andrew works for City Bible Forum in Melbourne and directs Life at Work, an initiative aimed at connecting Christian faith to our daily work. He's a popular speaker and writer, and he joins me now. Please welcome Andrew Laird. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> now, welcome, Andrew. A raucous welcome there yes. from our live audience. Now, they're, they're not asleep yet. <laughs> we're, we're still hoping that they're still not asleep in half an hour. Now, today we're talking about getting a good night's mm. sleep. So what made you interested in sleep? My interest in sleep began when I started doing shift work for the first time. Um, I found that there's two groups of people who like to talk about sleep all the time. Parents with young yep. children and shift workers. I've had the experience of both, but it was <laughs> when I started working shift work that I began being interested. Are you a good sleeper? Well, I've had seasons of where I've been better than other times. Uh, my wife says, no, I'm not a particularly good sleeper. These days, I think the, the, fa- the biggest factor in that is young children keeping me awake. Mm-hmm. That aside, I perhaps, you know, sleep okay. But I've had periods where it hasn't been the best. You make a few mistakes. That's right. When, when There's room for improvement. Okay. <laughs> room for improvement in your sleep. Now, as a part of Bigger Questions, we also like to ask some smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Andrew Laird about getting a good night's sleep. So, Andrew, in today's quiz, I'm going to test you on losing sleep. There's two questions, both multiple choice. First question is, how much sleep do parents typically lose in the first year because of a new baby? Is it A, 3,000 hours, no parent ever sleeps with a newborn? (laughs) Is it B, 400 to 750 hours, around one to two hours a night? Is it C, 200 to 400 hours, around 30 minutes to an hour a night? Or is it D, zero hours, newborn babies sleep so much they never cause sleep disruption? <laughs> it's definitely not D. Okay, right. <laughs> I've experienced that on two occasions. Okay, yeah. It feels like A, right, yeah. um, but I'm going to go with C. C, you might want to go with B. B. B is actually the correct answer. The B was the longest time someone played a video game and C was the closely scrutinised scientific experiment of Randy Gardner. Apparently, it's actually 400 to 750 hours, about one to two hours a night. Okay. So apparently one of the best predictors of insomnia later in life is the development of bad habits from having sleep disturbed by young children. Now, that's part of your experience. With kids of- and also with shift work as well, they <laughs> say the same thing, that if you do it for a, for a period of time, perhaps two years or more, then that's also going to impact your sleep for life. Okay, right. Question two in our quiz. So what is the world record for the longest period without sleep? And see if mm-hmm. we can pass here today. Is it A, 17 hours, no one ever has any trouble sleeping? B, 135 hours, more than five days? Mm. Is it C, 264 hours and 24 minutes, more than 11 days? Or was it D, 449 hours, more than 18 days? Well, I lean towards B. Right, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Just to help you pass here. I was reading something recently, I think, where it talked about... Up to you know, 11 days, you might be getting into territory where you can't live any longer. But yeah. why, don't, why don't we go for C? Or A? No, not A. <laughs> it can't be D. It can't really be D. It, the answer is actually oh, D. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So in 1978, the Guinness Book of Records reported that Maureen Weston of the UK set the record of 449 hours, 18 wow. days, and 17 hours in a rocking chair marathon. 
Okay. So I'm not sure how far the chair went. <laughs> But, I mean, is that a record worth trying to win? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is your record for sleeplessness? Oh, no, I've never, never gone for um, long periods necessarily without sleep. In fact, at university, I was never one to do an all-nighter. Right. I just can't work at that time of day. I work much better in the early hours of the morning. But, you know, I can wake up for an hour or two and yeah. lie there awake. You're the first person to ever do this. <laughs> but in our losing sleep quiz, you actually didn't get any right. You nearly, you nearly, actually you didn't even nearly pass. You got both yeah. wrong. But anyway, give him a round of applause for trying anyway. <laughs> I'll blame it on being, being too tired to think straight. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> now the record holder for the world's mm. longest period without sleep, Maureen Weston, reported hallucinations, paranoia, blurred vision, slurred speech, and memory and concentration lapses at the end of her record-breaking stint. Mm. So... Is this why sleep is so important? I think it's part of it. Um, there's, there's a sense in which our bodies, and scientists and doctors will, will confirm this, of which I'm not one, mm -hmm. but that our bodies have been wired in such a way that sleep is built into it, that yeah. we need to have it. Yeah. Scientists actually estimate that were such an experiment possible that you would die of lack of sleep before you die of lack of food. Mm. Now, that's not an experiment that you'd like to be a part no. of. No. no. <laughs> but is that something about showing why sleep is so important? Yeah, absolutely. I th there's a, a rhythm that, that is built into, into us that dictates that we need to have sleep. To, just to qualify, I'm a bit of a hack when it comes to this. I've, I'm interested in it because of the reasons I mentioned earlier, mm. but I'm not a, not a scientist or a sleep specialist. But my reading that I've done is that the body has what's known as circadian rhythms, perhaps familiar with them. And they're rhythms that are sort of built into who we are and how we operate that necessitate that we sleep at certain points in time. And related to that is that these rhythms trigger a particular hormone, yep. a hormone called melatonin. And it's, it's triggered uh, usually late evening, early evening, that sort of time of day. And what that hormone does is it, it tells our body it's time to sort of wind down and, and begin to get to sleep. And one of the key triggers for it is, is light reducing. So mm -hmm. actually, this is, I think this is fascinating, that the, that the rhythms that are sort of built into who we are as people, the circadian rhythms, are actually meant to align with I guess some of the rhythms of how the world works in terms of night and day, that they're meant to work in harmony where the, the light of the day begins to, to reduce. That triggers this, this hormone which tells us it's time to go to sleep, um, which is why you suffer jet lag, for example, because you, you go to the other side of the world where it's light, but actually your body's got that rhythm saying, oh, I'm meant to be, you know, going to sleep now. Mm. And so um, shift workers often... Um, liken the experience to, to jet lag because it's actually like the experience of jet lag because you're trying to force your body to sleep at a time of day that it's actually not wired to sleep. So there's almost a beauty to the sleep patterns we have. I think it's a great word to describe it, particularly when you think about that, that harmony in the relationship, which is quite beautiful between the way the body's been wired and the way you know, the sun revolves around the earth. Now, if sleep is so good for us and it's almost beautiful to mm. sleep, why do we have slogans like, you snooze, you lose? Is sleep undervalued? I think the answer to that is yes. I think we live in a, in a culture, a society, where we kind of look down on, on those who need sleep and lots of it. Because, because that slogan, you snooze, you lose, we sort of think you're missing out on something if you're, if you're not awake. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's those who are awake and awake longer who can perhaps get more done mm. and, and do more. Well, an example of that is mm. uh, several years ago, John Brennan was appointed head of CIA mm. in the United States. At the press conference where his appointment was announced, US President Barack Obama said, I don't know anyone who works harder than him. 
He once told me, I don't do downtime. I'm not sure he's slept in four years. So how do you react to Obama's assessment of Brennan as not doing downtime? Oh, I think it encapsulates a, a, a sentiment that is prevalent in the world today, and perhaps particularly the working world, that, um, that those who sleep lose. I actually remember watching that press conference. I was at work at a time. background was as a journalist, hence the shift work, although I was watching that during the day, right. uh, not in the middle of the night. And I remember Obama was sort of listing all of the, the criteria for why Brennan was the man for the job. And, and kind of making the case to the American public that this is the man we need. And it just really struck me that, that one of the reasons that Obama said this is the man we need is because he doesn't need to sleep. So obviously he thought that's going to resonate with the public in terms of you know, qualifying this person to be a good person to have in the job. Mm. But isn't there a sense, though, that sleep is inefficient? Oh. I mean, it's eight hours just doing nothing. You're just sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> sleep. yeah it's, oh, it's incredibly inefficient. I mean, you know, just imagine for a moment you're, you've been given a task by your employer to design, build, construct something, and, uh, and you report to them and you say, uh, I've done the job, it works brilliantly, does what's required of it, but only two-thirds of the time. They're going to send you packing and say, come back when it does the job all the time. <laughs> mm. um, and so, yeah, there's a sense in which sleep is incredibly inefficient, but I think there's a, there's a reason for that. Yeah, do you want to explore? What, what is that? In part, this is sort of born out of my Christian faith, yeah. that I believe that there's a God who, who runs the world, who he's the one who keeps the world spinning and has actually made us in such a way where we actually are inefficient a third of the time, almost as a daily reminder that well, it's not you who keeps the world spinning, but me. Even though John Brennan keeps the world running in some respects by not sleeping for four years. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of um, perhaps an illusion that we, that we create or um, convince ourselves of that somehow, uh, you know, because I don't need to sleep much, Really, I'm the one who's in control, keeping things going. Mm, mm. So what are the, therefore the causes of sleep loss, apart from rocking chair competitions and, <laughs> and lots of work? What makes us lose sleep? Well, for me, there's, I think there's been three big things that have impacted upon my sleep, and I've touched on a couple of them already. One was shift work. Um, that, tr that sense of trying to force your body to sleep at times of day that it's not actually wired to sleep. It's breaking the rhythms that are yeah. built into it. Yeah, and, and that, has a, that can have a, an ongoing effect, even, even after you're no longer doing shift work, mm -hmm. apparently. Well, I certainly feel the effects of it still. Uh, there's that. I think we've touched on it as well. Young children, uh, they don't necessarily always help, uh, help you get a good night's sleep. But I think another thing as well, and this has been um, um, relevant for me in periods of time, in that concern, worry, anxiety about certain pressures uh, in life, they're the kind of things that can either keep you up late, <laughs> trying to keep on top of things and not going to bed uh, early enough when your body's sending that signal to go to bed, or, or equally waking up in the middle of the night and lying awake thinking about things. And interestingly, 3 to 3.30 a.m. is the time that you will wake up uh, if you're worried or concerned uh, about things. And that, again, it's part of the rhythms of the body. The body actually uh, has, loses temperature a little bit at that time of day. And so most people who, 
who die in their sleep actually die between 3 and 3.30 a.m. And similarly, that drop in body temperature is the reason why, if you know, there's anxiety, concern, worry, that'll be the time that you wake up. Mm. So just a, a very quick story. So just on that, if yeah. you're worried about dying in your sleep, you should set the alarm for 3.30, is that right? Yeah, just, just to, to get just through. To make, just, just to, to get, get through. through. That's right. Yeah. But it's interesting, I spoke, I spoke to a psychologist once and she thought about starting an online forum for all of her patients who were worried or concerned or anxious at 3 a.m. in the morning because she knew they'd all be awake then. <laughs> So what keeps you awake at night? Well, these days, mostly kids, not shift work anymore, very thankfully. But as, a, as I said, I've, I've known, uh, not necessarily extended periods, but certainly known periods of time where I've woken up at three wide awake, my mind absolutely racing with usually concerns about work, the quantity of work that I need to get through, how much I've got on my plate and can I manage it, can I cope with it all. So what have you done to overcome this? Apart from talking to your boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, just in your defence, because you are my boss. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the workload is usually self-inflicted. Right. Um, and that might be the case for others as well. Um, but what have I done? Well, a variety of things. Um, given that what I talked about before in terms of some of the natural rhythms of the body, there are, there are things that we can do to try and work with the rhythms of our body, some practical things that we can do. But also because some of it perhaps is uh, things that you're thinking about, concerned about, worried about, I think that needs to be addressed as well. And for me, uh, as a Christian person, I think uh, the Bible provides some great help for me there in terms of how to, how to think about myself, my work and the sleep that I want to get. Mm. Well, why don't we have a look mm. at some of that now? Now, you may actually be surprised that the Bible speaks a lot about sleep. Mm. And we're going to examine some wisdom found there now. The part of the Bible we're reflecting on today comes from the Psalms. The Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. And today we're reflecting on Psalm 4. Now, the psalmist has a lot on his mind, doesn't he, Andrew? He cries out to God in verse 1, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Mm. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Why do you think he was distressed? Yeah, great question. I mean, that's very much the context of this psalm. You know, the, the, that is the place that he finds himself in, distressed. And there's probably a few different things that we might get there. The very next sentence, how long will you people turn my glory into shame, might be one reason for his distress. I think glory speaks of a person's reputation or standing, how others think of him. And it alludes to the fact that perhaps others don't think well of him. Yeah. Um, whether it's something that he's done or something that about him, um, he, his reputation is under attack, uh, which is not pleasant, can cause distress and sleeplessness perhaps, anxiety over that. Yep. There's perhaps a, a few other things as well. He, he talks there in, in verse 7 about um, others who, who might be causing his distress as having grain and new wine. And one of the things that the, the experts on the Psalms say is that's an allusion to, to how much wealth they have. They're prosperous. And maybe that's suggesting that he is not. Yep. So maybe some of the distress is financial concerns and... Uh, that's perhaps something that can keep people awake late into the evening, trying to alleviate them or lying awake with mm -hmm. worry. Well, it's certainly a distress. But there's also a lot that's said in there about um, sacrifices. Yep. And so I think the psalmist is a person who is trusting in, in God, he says there. And I think there's others around him who perhaps have different faiths, different religions, um, offering different sacrifices. And so there's a sense that perhaps part of uh, the distress that he is experiencing is from people of, I guess, different faiths, different religions to him who are opposing him um, because of the faith that he mm. has. That's what it makes sense here in the, the second part of verse 2. How long will you love delusions mm. and seek 
false gods. Mm. It's almost as though like you stay up late at night because someone's wrong on the internet. And you need to sort of try to deal with their <laughs> problems, you know, and try to deal with these people who are different to you. Yeah. Uh, or disagree with you. Yeah. And it's probably one of the reasons I don't watch Q&A <laughs> late on Monday nights anymore because I can't get to sleep afterwards because it gets so worked up with people who disagree uh, and you find that they, they're just wrong. But it fires you up and you can't, you can't sleep. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So distress is obviously deeper than just watching yes. Q&A, isn't yeah. it? So do you think then he had trouble sleeping? Well, I mean, they're the kind of things that could cause you to have trouble sleeping. Uh, as I said, you know, um, reputation, opposition from others, financial concerns, I think they're the kind of things that people might often speak of as the things that cause them worry, anxiety, concern in the middle of the night yeah. or late in the evening. Um, so, yeah, absolutely he could, but, but the striking thing about this psalm, this song, is that he concludes by talking about lying down and sleeping in peace, mm. which just seems uh, completely the opposite of what you would have expected, mm. given his circumstances. Can you relate to this man's feelings? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some, of those, some of those particular um, distresses, um, other ones, it's not necessarily here in this psalm, but I think one that uh, I've known of others and even myself in times, health, I think, can be a thing which can cause us great concern and worry and anxiety. Mm. That was a concern for you at one point in time, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, certainly at one point in time. I have pretty bad eyesight and uh, I've had all sorts of eye issues and I've had seasons where that's been particularly bad. One season in particular where I was sort of effectively blind in one eye for a, for a month or two. And that's concerning, you know, with things like that happen to your body, it's worrying mm. and uh, the kind of thing that can keep you awake at night with worry. So the psalmist has all the ingredients for a bad night's sleep. has a lot on his mind. What's his solution? As you said, at the end, he gets a good night's sleep. So what's his solution? He asks for relief, but he doesn't actually get it. No, and I think that's really key to this, that, that this sleep is in the midst of distress. There doesn't get a sense in this psalm that his problems have been solved, and yet he's still able to sleep well in spite of them remaining. And for me, I think there's a couple of uh, things that are going on here that are allowing him to get sleep. Yep. Um, Verse 7 speaks of fill my heart with joy. I think what he's talking about there is that he's, his joy, his happiness, his satisfaction ultimately comes not from his reputation or standing that he might get through his work or whatever else it might be. His joy, his happiness, um, his peace in life doesn't come from his wealth portfolio. It comes from something else. And, and he's saying this to God, would you be the one that satisfies me, that fills me with joy. As those things kind of come and go, reputation and standing and finances, as they inevitably do, uh, he says, you're fixed in who you are and what you do for me, and so would you be the one that I am most satisfied in, so that if those other things change, it's, my joy still remains. And well, the psalmist himself recognises this and trusts in him. It says there in verse 3, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. So he actually has this sort of sustained trust in him. And similarly, uh, in verse 5, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust mm. in the Lord. And mm. so he sees this. But the psalm, as you mentioned before, closes with these beautiful words, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So the psalm opens with the outlining the man's distress, yet it closes where he sleeps in peace and safety, what's changed? As I said, in one thing, his circumstances haven't changed yes. as such. It remains a distressing situation. But what he does in this psalm is he reminds himself almost about things about God. Yeah. 
knowing in verse 3, trembling before him. And verse 5, trusting in the Lord. Yeah. And I think it's being, he, he trusts in something or someone who is bigger than him, who does provide ultimate safety and assurance and security for him, which means that even though he might be being attacked from a variety of different sides, there's all sorts of things that are going on which concern him, distress him. There's someone bigger than all of that who ultimately looks after him. It's not just the bigness of him, though. No. The line there, make me dwell in safety. Yeah. You can uh, have someone who's bigger than you, but you wouldn't necessarily feel safe with them unless they're good. They've got to be be good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think he knows that of the character of God, that he's not just bigger than him and runs everything, um, but he's also good. And so he can can leave all of his concerns and anxieties and worries with him at the end of the day and, and sleep. And I think this comes back to what we were touching on before about the inefficiency of being wired to need to sleep a third of the time. And that there's a sense in which we try and stay up late or we try and be like Brennan and not need much sleep to create this impression that I'm running things, I'm in control, and our workplaces really want that, Mm. um, to a degree rightly. And they encourage that, that we're people who are efficient, on top of things, in control. Um, But the reality is there are all sorts of distresses and concerns and things in life, Um, work even itself, but even outside of work too, that remind us, you know, at the end of the day, this is bigger than me. This is a problem bigger than I can cope with on my own. I'm not really in control of things. Um, But thankfully, there is one who, who is in control and who does run everything and who is good as well. And this leads to another psalm, in particular Psalm 121, which has been wonderfully helpful for me, which talks about God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. Now that's fascinating, I think. We need to sleep, but another psalm points to the fact that God doesn't slumber or sleep. The reason being is he is in control of everything. He's the one who keeps the world spinning and keeps the world turning, not you and not me. And so he doesn't need to sleep, but we do. So how do you think we recognise that? I think we recognise it by honouring those rhythms that are, that are built into us. By actually getting some sleep. By actually doing things to make sure that we, we get sleep. Uh, this is not to suggest that um, we don't work hard during the day. Because the Bible has an enormous amount to say, not just about sleep, but about work as well. The idea, the balance is that... Um, these rhythms is that we're meant to work and work well and work hard and do our job effectively and and efficiently in those hours that we're awake but not to the degree to which we say that if I stop the world will stop turning if I walk away from my work to get a good night's sleep you know everything will fall apart because everything depends on me no we're to do our work well when we're when we're awake but we're also meant to step back away from it and make sure we sleep well too well, the premise of a good night's sleep then seems to be trusting in God who satisfies and is powerful and good. So, Andrew, if we're feeling tired, mm. how can we get a good night's sleep? There's two things there, and I touched on it earlier. I think there are practical things we can do, recognising the rhythms of our body, rhythms which I would say um, God has built into us. <laughs> um, so there are practical things to do. And there's a number of things that I've, that I've done there. I mentioned at the beginning um, melatonin, that hormone that is triggered um, by light being reduced and uh, and triggered and telling us it's time to go to sleep. Um, One of the ways we can suppress that hormone is by um, 
is by not being in a dark room, not having dark lights, not turning down the light as the day goes out, um, which bright lights and electricity don't aid us in. Mm. But actually, there's a particular type of light, blue light, which is especially bad for, um, for stunting um, that hormone being re- released. And the bad news is that um, blue light is most emitted by your phones and your um, <laughs> iPads and your iPads <laughs> and your other devices. Um, and so that is why they say they're not good to use just before you go to bed because the light from it is actually telling your body, oh, don't release that hormone, which is telling you it's time to sleep because it's not. All sorts of things are being done to solve that problem because we're not suggesting that, oh, well, don't ever watch your iPad before you go to bed or that sort of thing. If you can avoid it, then it's good. That's good. But you get all sorts of screens now and glasses as well that you can wear in bed, which reduce that light because the protective goggles to read. Protective in bed. goggles to, <laughs> to read to read on your iPad. Because, <laughs> but that is why, if you you know, lying in bed just before you're about to turn off the light on your phone, um, it's not going to help you. So yeah. there's the things you can do around that. Exercise is great um, for getting good sleep, but not just before you're wanting to sleep. Caffeine and alcohol as well have big impacts on sleep. There's details about the longevity of caffeine in your body, which are kind of alarming, um, such that I, have a, I try and have a cutoff pointed around midday, two o'clock at the absolute latest, where I don't drink any coffee after that. Um, and similarly with alcohol, it's great at putting you to sleep, but not at keeping you to sleep. Mm. So I think moderating and, and, and being careful with those things as well. But you mentioned one more thing? One more, one more quick thing, and that is um, if you've got children, you know that how much how helpful a bedtime routine is for them in getting to sleep. You know, turning the lights down a bit, bath time, books, songs, whatever it is, and how that really helps them wind down to sleep. You know what? We're not actually any different as adults. Mm -hmm. That a bedtime routine... You need someone to tuck you in. (laughs) If need be, some sort of routine, and actually having a similar bedtime every night, just as you try and do with your kids, is actually really helpful for us as adults too. Because that's, again, respecting those rhythms of the body. So there are some practical things. So you reflected on the Psalms, Mm. the Bible. You see that God's in control. He's good. What difference has this made to your sleep? Look, I don't want to say that uh, I now have an amazing sleep every night. As I said at the start, there's room for improvement. Those practical things have really helped. Um, But also, I think being reminded that I'm not the one who keeps the world turning is really helpful for my sleep too. Really helpful in knowing that I can leave concerns and worries with someone else who does keep the world turning. And I used to think that I needed to tell myself that at 3.30 in the morning and that would help me get back to sleep. And it didn't work. And then I came to realise, actually, 3.30 a.m. is not the time I need to tell that to myself. 3.30 p.m., when I'm sitting at my computer, tempted to say yes to another email, tempted to add another task to the day, that's the time I need to tell myself, uh, if you can, you need to say no now. Um, because the world doesn't revolve around you. You don't keep it spinning. And saying no at 3.30pm will probably help you at 3.30am. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, how can we get a good night's sleep? From Psalm 4.8. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. I look forward to you joining us next time. For bigger questions, please thank our guest today, Andrew Laird. Thanks for listening to Bigger Questions. If you want to be part of the live audience or subscribe to the podcast, 
go to biggerquestions.org. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.